Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of FinTech Nexus. I've been doing this show since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of FinTech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, The FinTech Blueprint with Lex Sokolin and FinTech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro, or listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the FinTech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service. FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest FinTech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the most important FinTech stories into your inbox every morning with special commentary on the top story of the day. Stay on top of FinTech news by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Jeffrey Rogers. He is the CEO and founder of Lift Forward. Now, Lift Forward's a super interesting company. They have created this uh, fintech infrastructure that's really embedded finance for brands, merchants, and banks, and bringing those um, parties together in a unified system. It's not easy. We, he describes, obviously, in detail how he's able to do that and some of the the leading brands globally that uh, they're working with today. And we obviously talk about how that all works. Uh, we talk about the the demographic changes in the world and how that's kind of changing the way consumers are purchasing things and the impact that that's having on Lift Forward. We talk about uh, their partnership with MasterCard and what that means. Uh, we talk about the their international business and how they they went international very early on in their development and what that, what that meant for their company at the time and what it means now. Um, we also obviously talk about how they make money, the scale they're at, and uh, Jeffrey provides his vision for the future of the company. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jeffrey. Great. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. I know you've been doing Lift Forward for a while now, but tell us some of the highlights of your career before that. It's been a while. It's been a bit of a journey. It's been over 10 years at the company, but before that, I have a pretty mixed background. I have a mix of uh, start from entrepreneurship, uh, law, and finance. So I actually am a JD MBA. Actually, I uh, had a short stint practicing law for a bank, and then I moved into investment banking, worked on Wall Street a couple of years before finding my passion of building companies. Okay. Why don't you tell us the sort of the impetus to launch Lift Forward back uh, 10 plus years ago now? What, what's the founding story? I was running a pretty sizable company at, at the time, and this was at doing a uh, major liquidity crunch in the, the country, and banks started to pull back just because there weren't a lot of uh, banks got very conservative. And this was at kind of the height of the fintech boom, right? It's kind of which led a lot of companies like Lift Forward to, to come out to try to fill in that gap to provide funding to both consumers and small businesses. And uh, when we came out, what we tried to do is focus just at the time on small businesses, because uh, if you remember, this is back in 2013, there was a lot of uh, already action around a consumer 
And we saw that uh, small businesses still needed a way to get capital uh, efficient, efficiently. And there were some companies out there like uh, on DAC that had kind of a funding platform that small businesses could apply directly. But we tried to do something different where we wanted to work with uh, OEMs and manufacturers that were providing actually tools and um, and, and devices to small businesses and try to find funding around how do we get these tools in their hands with a, a funding mechanism, but in a time that would take you to underwrite a consumer. So basically adding tech around uh, around financing, uh, working with OEMs. That's, that's really what's kind of the grand vision of how we started. And then as we dove deeper into it, um, we learned that around this whole ecosystem of providing financing kind of within with OEMs, a lot of this is done through either vendors or retailers, and that there was a whole need for a tech solution that really could integrate all of the interested parties in so that you can have a smooth transaction. And that really kind of brought us fast forward to where we are today. Right, right. It's interesting, yeah, because I remember when we first uh, came across you guys, I think it was actually... Um... Jeff Miller from GLI. That's a blast from the past. I know. I think I think he was the person who introduced yeah. us originally. But uh, and you were doing like you said, the small business marketplace. So it's been really interesting watching you kind of um, evolve over the last decade. So maybe you can sort of talk about what is the core product suite today. What are you actually offering? You know, maybe Peter, if we can back up and take a a case study. Sure. Uh, one of our larger uh, largest clients, Microsoft, they've been a client for years, but we have a number of programs with them. But uh, one of the more recent ones is with um, a division called Xbox, which uh, a lot of people may know from the, the, the gaming, but they have a gaming device. They also have software. Um, they have uh, accessories. And before we came along, um, they uh, Xbox was just sold through retailers. And if the retailer offered financing, great, but they didn't really know how the customer, the end customer would be able to consume the product if they wanted some type of financing. So they said we wanted to take control over that because they really cared about the customer experience and how they got the product home and how they use it and how they paid for it. So they said, we're going to put together a subscription, but we are a you know multinational company. So we're going to put this together initially in 15 countries. So we need a tech solution that will allow that the customer, no matter if they're in Sweden, Italy, or the U.S., when they apply, they have the same experience. But in that experience, we wanted to include uh, one that the different accessories that we sell around the world that they can attach to that they be able to uh, get uh, financing for this, and we're going to dictate kind of how we want that financing to look around the around the world. And three, once they plug that machine in all the the software that comes with this subscription will get digitally attached and uh and that's what essentially we provided so that was kind of the the need and then the solution is is our you know what we call now it's kind of fast forward our embedded finance um platform so what we do so for every retailer that they sell xbox in we go and we integrate it in with the retailer for every region that they're in, we integrate it in with a, a bank or, or multiple banks that finance those transactions. And then for every third party that need to touch that transaction, like for example, this is sold as a subscription. So you meant to own this device for 24, 34 months. 
you send it back. And then for the new iteration of that model, you get you sent you're sent a new device. So the 3PL that takes that device back is also integrated into our platform. So all this information flows to all the parties when they need to have it, but everyone gets the same information and the customer has the same experience uh, around the world when they consume the product. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. So can we just back up a second? And I'm curious about how you were able to get into Microsoft. You're, you're a small company. Microsoft's one of the largest companies on the planet. How were you able to kind of convince them to uh, go with a, a little fintech company? Yeah, well, we didn't start with Xbox. We started with a smaller uh, device in Microsoft and the uh, kind of the, the, with their Surface product. I remember that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Microsoft at the time had 100 retail stores around the, the US and they had one in the UK as well. Uh, and so we integrated our tech solution in those uh, in those retail stores. But they they essentially uh, sent out an RFP and uh, went out to their constituents to to find the best tech solution. And and uh, fortunately, uh, you know, we we won. I think a lot of it was at the beginning, uh, especially since we were uh, starting off. This is back in 2013. We were able to build kind of a, a flexible solution as to what they wanted rather than someone that had something out of the box that didn't fit. And then from there, we, we've kind of molded into this, you know, embedded finance for lending, if you will. We've learned that and we're able to build a, a core software platform that, that works for, you know, almost every brand now. All of these transactions have to have a, a lender behind them. Do you Do you kind of come in with this package that includes access to you know to bank finance or some other kind of financing uh, we can now that we have uh, a number of lenders uh, around the, the world on the platform we can typically with some of the brands we work with they want their own lenders and sometimes it's it's done with an RFP so for example we partner with uh, RBC in Canada um, for uh, IKEA we won that RFP but that's that's a situation where you know IKEA wanted RBC and uh, and our and RB and we were RBC's partner in Canada for for that transaction. So I say it varies. We can bring the bank, but in a lot of the brands we work with, they have relationships already with banks, so they bring them. Right. Okay. Okay. And so it seems to me a it's a complex solution because you've got on one hand you've got Microsoft, on the other hand you've got the retailer where they're actually purchasing the product, which have their own systems. And then you've got the the lender on the back end. I mean, like, do you have to go and get all these pieces together? I mean, like, Absolutely. how does it all come together? So, you know, we work with the uh, the tech teams in uh, each of, you know, for the retails we work with, there's a, you know, huge tech team that integrate these programs in. At the bank, there's a, there's a tech team that we're, and with some banks that we're closely working with, like, you know, on a Citizens or an RBC, we are, our tech teams are constantly working together, improving the product and and adding new uh, and adding new programs. So, you know, the I would I would say for a lot of this, the hard work has already been done because once you have the integration in, it's it's good. Now, now there's always an upgrade and things to change, but getting those those first integrations in uh, were, were difficult. But for like a lot of the major retailers around the world, we had that that integration completed. Right. Okay. It's interesting to me because you're you're kind of with your embedded finance product. It's almost like a subscription type product that you're offering here. 
you know, a lot of the new generation, they, they're used to paying subscriptions. They don't necessarily like to pay on credit card. I'd love to get your perspective on the, the demographic change that are driving the, the growth in what you guys are doing. It's partly financial, but also another part is that uh, it's just a, a mentality standpoint of for items over a certain amount, they, they just don't see why they need to pay a full amount for it, right? They're, they're, even if there's a device involved, they want to pay for, they consider it a, a service. So they just want to pay for the device and the service that, that may come with it and pay on a monthly basis. That's really what's driving how they want to consume it. And if you look at the end of this year, you're going to see some like, like for consumer transactions online, we're going to reach over like $6 trillion. It's absolutely massive. If you look at the SMB world, uh, and this is SMB, if they're buying with some type of financing, some call it devices or service, but it's subscription as well. You're looking at over, you know, 300 billion. So, those numbers and those numbers are growing at you know great clips. You know on the S and B side, it's forty percent on a on a KGAR, and then you know hundred percent on uh, on the consumer side. So uh, a lot of that drives uh, I want you know subscription and and monthly and monthly payments. And just the level set, you know, like our, our platform really, uh, if you look at kind of all of these installment loans, right? And then under installment loans, you can have buy now, pay later, where you're just paying a smaller term, right? It's three or four payments. and Or you can have what we call split payments, general finance, where you have, it could be a longer term, but you're not going to own a device. And then, you know, to the third, we put subscription, whereas you're you're paying for a certain term, you want to return a device at the end and start the process all over again. Do you do all of that? Yeah, we do. We do all of that. So the depending upon um, the client, you know, there might not be need for a, a subscription. It's more just a finance. So the work we do with uh, RBC with IKEA is it's just it's uh, it's just finance. Where Xbox is a it's a subscription. I'm interested in your partnership with Mastercard. I, I saw that you're part of their Engage Partner Network. Maybe you could explain what that is and why it's important. Sure. So Mastercard, uh, they're looking to solve two two problems here for um, for banks. So, uh, and this is, you know, really a reaction to um, the, the boom in buy now, pay later, but it's really expanded again, as I was trying to explain to installments because it, it includes buy now, pay later, but it could be for longer terms as, as well. So as we know, there are companies like Klarna and Affirm, they've done a, a, a great job of offering a buy now, pay later, a product in their own in-app purchase experience. And then some credit card issuers can offer a post-transaction installment uh, product as, as well. So after you do a credit card transaction, you probably see it sometimes on your bill, you can pay it over over uh, you know four or five payments instead of paying it all at once and sometimes interest-free. And what MasterCard installments does is allow banks to offer it at the point of sale or or pre-sale. So for example, you don't see it now a lot, but you'll be you'll start to see when you swipe a credit card at a at a retailer, it will come up and give you options to have it as a regular credit card payment, or you can pay in one, two, three, four, 12 payments, and you can choose at the point of sale whether or not you want to split it up. The other thing this solves is uh if you want, if banks have uh want to put together a program with their existing customers, say they have 
10,000 customers and they say, and they can go to them and say, hey, you each have $5,000 worth of credit for, and you can pay over, you know, whatever, six months for, you know, with no interest and you can shop at these retailers, then this product allows them to do that. So MasterCard built this um, technology um, bend that allows you to do this at the point of sale and they, and they studied the field and determined that it was easier instead of banks integrating directly into MasterCard to do this, that if they had technology partners to aid them in this. So uh, we then uh, integrated our technology platform into MasterCard, and then banks can integrate into Lift Forward, and it saves them about 80% of the time of integration to offer these products. Okay, interesting. So then who are some of the banks that you're working with? Uh, on the MasterCard, we don't have any, um, there, there are some in transition right now. We don't have any live that we can, that's public right now. But RBC and Citizens, we have programs outside of the MasterCard program right. that, that we work with. But on the MasterCard side, that's still in the early stages. So we haven't made an announcement on who's coming out first yet with that that product. So I want to talk about embedded finance because that is something that, wasn't really a thing when we when uh, you started this company, and now it's top of mind for banks, for fintech companies, uh, for brands as well. And I'm curious, like in your conversations now, compared to what they were even five years ago, do you go out? Like I, I look on your website, your homepage mentions embedded finance right front and center. So does that message now resonate with non-financial companies? Do they get what you're referring to there? Yeah, I know. I still think it's a a term that's uh, you know very familiar within our our world of of right. fintech. Right? So I think we have a little while before that term is you know when someone looks at that term and they and they read it and they realize okay this is what they're talking about. And also even within embedded finance, right? We we focus on the lending, but there's a you know it still means a, a few other things, right? It's right. it's it's company selling insurance. It could be. It, it could be a, a retailer offering banking services outside of what they normally do through some other third party. So even that term is uh, has a has a lot in it. So I think we still have a ways to go to for that become become a household term. But what you know what we want people to realize is that really in in the purchase flow of when you purchase goods and services, there's going to be some kind of embedded lending in that in the future from from our standpoint, right? So. You know, our, our overarching goal and what we want to see overall is that everything you purchase over a certain amount, of course, that makes sense, that you have that ability to, to, to pay over time and to pay in, in monthly installments. And we want to provide that tech layer both to retailers, uh, banks and manufacturers to allow that to happen, because that is the, the, the trend of, you know, not only technology products, but we see it in home improvement. We're seeing it in travel. Obviously, elective medical care has been out there for a while, um, but it's still very clunky the way it's offered. So, you know, our goal is to make that easier through tech. Okay. So then, like, are you a SaaS company? Do you, what's your business model? Are you charging transaction fees, origination fees? What do you, how do you make money? Yeah, we make money by uh, transaction fees that come through the, uh, through the platform. We're somewhat of a of a SaaS <laughs> of a SaaS model. The the main the bulk of the the fees are the transactional fees that come through. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So I want to go back to something you talked about when you 
you were talking about Microsoft earlier and you said that they wanted to roll this out in 15 countries. And you sort of were, it looks like you were thrust into the international world pretty, pretty early on. I want you to go through and sort of tell us what that's like. I mean, you obviously were motivated with uh, with such a big client, but how did you kind of level up to be able to handle expanding beyond the US in your early days? We went through a lot of transition at that point because we had to um, make some some choices, and this was one of the things that was that was uh, driving that. So, one of the things you may remember at the time is that we also used to fund these transactions ourselves. So, we used to borrow from um, you know asset managers, some hedge funds, uh, and fund these transactions. But you know, unless you're going to do this at some kind of massive scale, they're really hard to manage these these type of these credit funds. And also we were very, um, you know, we were locked down. So a lot of our funds, you get approved for kind of where you operate at the top. <laughs> so we couldn't lend money outside of the, the the US or we couldn't, we couldn't fund transactions outside the US, but we're going outside the US. So it was basically becoming kind of two businesses if we were going to uh, have these um, credit facilities. So we ultimately made the choice to uh, ditch the credit facilities and partner instead with banks and financial institutions. And it was uh, a move we had to make if we were going to be international. And it was, uh, you know, one of the best things that we that we did. So that required a lot of change because, you know, once you have a credit fund, you have also um, all of the the staff and, and uh, controls in place that normally you would have when you're you know, funding transaction and that we had to transition out of that and then uh, add in more, uh, more engineers to build tech, more people that can handle, you know, international, uh, international relations, international transactions, dealing with international companies. So that was a big transition for us, but that was necessary for us to be a, a complete software company in, in this type of space and also, you know, set us on a good trajectory as, as well. So did you partner with like international banks or did you have to go and do local banks in each of the different countries or how did that work? Yeah, so uh, international banks and then, um, you know, like uh, United we work with, we even uh, work with Klarna in a, a couple of um, countries, BNP, uh, which, you know, in multiple countries. So we we did have to go with some international, some some local, but, but mainly we work with the, the larger banks. Okay, so can you give us a sense of the scale you guys are at today? Are you growing? I mean, where, where are you at? We are growing. I mean, I would, you know, if you look back at COVID, COVID was a was a was a crazy time, right? Because <laughs> I, I think a lot of companies, if they survived it, they went through this this crazy uh, nothing's happening <laughs> uh, to like okay, the world's coming back, and you have this crazy spike, and then it slowed down again, and so now we just uh, see kind of growth again, but there's still a a lot of uncertainty uh, in the world. So kind of what's driving our business now is just it's just expansion, and and I, I would say the constituents that typically whether it be banks, retailers, or the or the brands seeing the need to offer this, uh, you know, across the globe. So, you know, when you look at last year, we had about 1 billion, I would say 1 billion of GMS go through our, our software around the globe. We're about, if you split us up, I would say we are, I think we're probably 50-50 US and then, uh, you know, outside of the country. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my guess is uh, as we go through this year, we'll probably be more outside of the country than 
than U.S. just because the expansion is more there. But I, I think we're, you know, we'll grow about, I would say, 75, about 75 percent over what we did last year. Right. And so Microsoft is still a, a big partner today. They are. When we started back in 2013 with them, we were we had one program with them. Uh, and now we have three with just three different groups that sell, you know, completely three different products. So they're, they're still pretty significant and important. And, and that relationship continues to grow as well. So are you then focused on like the big multinational companies like that? Or I mean, or are you like thinking about where you're you're trying to get new business from? I mean, there's not many Microsofts in the world. You know, there's lots of brands, obviously. Lots of people could use the the infrastructure that you've built. Where are you focusing on? We still have a few big brands out there to, to go through and and some that are that are coming on board this year. But but you are right. So we were able to build this. Um, I would I would say this uh, kind of plug and play tech that doesn't require a whole lot of integration. That uh, kind of call it second tier uh, retailers or manufacturers can can use that allows for scale. Some of the other things we're doing, Peter, is and you'll see an announcement coming out um, soon. But we're integrating our solution into other, I would say, much larger companies that have a full suite of software services so they will plug us into you know a, a network of you know thousands of retailers where you can kind of turn on lift forward if you need it so that is going to offer us uh, a lot of scale as as we move forward and what's your vision for the future of, of lift forward i mean you you're in a great spot you got a some really interesting technology but where are you taking this long term You'll see some announcements coming out and and this year where we're going into you know new countries that we have you know major countries that we we haven't uh, been in before we haven't announced but we're we're actually building the uh, the product there now uh, in conjunction with uh, clients in the long run you know I'll I'll tagline and we have it on I look at these kind of old T-shirts that we made a long time ago but it says uh, we turn products into services. And, you know, quite, and we had that back in, you know, 2013 before, you know, before all this came and, and we, we started to take a look at that again and, and put that back. Um, we're starting to you're going to go back and make some, some new t-shirts because it's coming forefront now. But overall, the vision is that, you know, most products, uh, you know, over, you know, over, you know, $300 were, it's offered through Lift Forward for kind of monthly pricing. We want to be that platform that this all goes through. So it's all about for us in a go for basis uh, scale. Makes sense. Well, it's a fascinating story. Jeffrey, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks so much. Peter, thank you for having me. Great seeing you again. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.